This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to Breaking Pod. We have another episode lined up for you today. Season three, episode five. This one is called Mas. And joining me as always, my co-host and uh, as we established last episode, co-founder of Breaking Pod, the Breaking Bad podcast, Josh Goldman. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, Zach. Uh, One thing I didn't mention the last time we were on the podcast is that I've recently shaved my beard into just a mustache, which is a silly thing that you do when you're stuck in the house for a long time. And uh, it's not it's not a great mustache, not the worst mustache in the world. But I will say one thing I for always forget when I have a beard and then I no longer have a beard. I, my chin is cold. Yes. I, I can feel the breeze. I can yes. feel the air going on my chin. I don't love it. I don't love it. Yep. So I I'm have, letting the beard. I'm letting the beard grow back already. As you, I think, know, I um I grow a beard out periodically, but I never get it, let let it get too long. I shave it roughly monthly maybe every six weeks yeah and so i just recently trimmed it but this time i didn't i didn't shave it all the way down there's still there's still some there yeah. so it, i don't have the cold breeze on my face yeah. uh sensation but i totally know what you're talking about yeah um, it's so weird what's the longest you've gone without a haircut and are you approaching that mark i think well it, you'd have to go back to like maybe high school or college days uh so i think i went three or four months without a haircut and That's it got quite pretty, a bit. it got pretty wild wow. yeah. yeah so we're I'm trying to think when the last haircut I got. I think it was in February at some point. We're approaching two months. It's getting yeah. pretty long, but it's not not the worst it is. So I don't I don't think our listeners have probably ever seen a picture of me. I have curly hair, so my hair does not grow down. It grows out in like an afro type of thing. That's so great, dude. It's 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 not it's not great. I wouldn't <laughs> say it's great. It's not the most uh, enjoyable thing to look at, but it does curl, so you can get away with it being longer for a longer period of time. But once it starts to poof, that's when you know you got to take care of it. So I say let I it go. Just let it go. <laughs> let it go. Just like Elsa and Frozen, just let it go. And we'll see. I, I have no plans to cut it yet. My son's hair is similar. It's curly, but it's, it's not as poofy. So his hair is starting to grow down a little bit. So my wife has determined that she will give him a haircut at some point. Yeah. And we bought some little scissors that are coming on Amazon in a couple weeks time. And, and we'll see. I'll keep you guys posted. Well, you'll be pleased to know. In fact, you already do know, but listeners don't. I have reached the cutting my own hair level of social yeah, isolation. It looks good. Thank I'm you. Looking at Zach now, it looks good. Thank you. You know, it was kind of an accident. Not, I mean, cutting my hair wasn't totally an accident. What I was trying to do was trim it. Yeah. Because uh, the my the hair on the side of my head is kind of, I guess, curly or wavy or yeah. whatever. So it kind of does what yours does is like grows grows out. Yeah. The hair on the top of my head is is fairly straight so it does not grow out and so what i yeah. get is just like the, these poofy sides and this yeah. like long straight top so i don't like the poofy sides so i was trying to trim those down and i didn't have a haircutting kit i just had my yeah. beard trimmer which <laughs> does it, it really it's like a it's really just like a, a face shaver almost it, yeah. the only guard i have is like a two millimeter guard so okay yeah not very long but i was like surely i can just like try to just trim this a little <laughs> bit and i trimmed a little bit too much and i was like oh no yeah I've made There's no going mistake. back after that. <laughs> so then I was like, well, I guess I'm all in. Let's do this. Yep, exactly. And so uh, my brother had told me the one trick, which was like, as you go up, because he cuts his own hair. He was like, as yeah. you go up, you just kind of peel off. Like you roll it off. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll try that. Roll it off. 
So I just did that. I just kept doing that all around my head. There was lots of like self-assessment, trying to look at the mirror, the mirrors, you know, trying to like get the angled looks. Super hard to cut the hair on the back of your head, by the way, by yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, Sally gave me a little bit of assist on the, on that part. Yeah. Um, and then we had some like really crappy dull shears, but was able to try to trim the stuff on the top of my head as well. Overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I describe it as going better than I had feared, but not as well as I had hoped. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Honestly, from my little video that I can see of you over Skype, looks great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, the it's it's got to be the pixelated uh, feature of Skype. So <laughs> exactly. I'm I'm actually looking at your your shaved head, and you just put like a toupee on top. I would never <laughs> exactly. know. I would never exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. It's a it's a, a Skype wig. Yeah. So, so it's, for it's now, like a Snapchat I, filter. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. For now, I uh, I'm gonna keep the the hair, and we'll see how it goes. We'll see how crazy this can get. But I will say. I will not be uh, ashamed to pay for a haircut once this whole thing is over. No, uh, yeah, you definitely should not be. Uh, everyone who's socially isolating and forgoing a haircut for the past four months should reward themselves with a nice haircut. Maybe go uh, exactly. go above and beyond, support your local barber. Oh uh, yeah, and uh, and pay for the massage. You know what I mean? Get the little oh, yeah, yeah. The, the hot towel massage and all that. Absolutely. Shampoo. If nothing else, if nothing else, extra tipping. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because they'll be dealing with a lot of hair. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I feel bad for them. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Moss season three, episode five. We will start off as always with the two minute Wikipedia summary, and then we'll dive into our analysis. All right. So here's the summary, Josh. You ready? Yep. Moss. Walt correctly deduces that Gus tried to lure him back into the business with Jesse's remaining half of his benefits, but still refuses to accept. Gus tries to convince him for a last time with a high tech super lab. (laughs) Meanwhile, Hank, that's the technical term, I believe. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. Hank continues investigating the RV and has an argument with Marie, who is concerned for his well-being and worries that he might be lying to her. Marie confides in Skyler, which in turn makes her doubt her new relationship with Ted. Moreover, she finds Walt's money and starts believing she might patch up things with Walt as she, quote, didn't marry a criminal, end quote. In the end, Skyler finds a divorce contract signed by Walt and finds that he left the house with the bag of money. Walt later admits to Saul and Jesse that he has decided to cook meth again, angering Jesse. Hank finds a link between Combo, whose mother owned the RV, and Jesse. End of summary. What do you think, Josh? What's the letter grade on this one? Well, I, I go I go two ways here. One way, I don't think it's great because there's a lot of uh, sort of muddied waters here. But I will say one thing, if true, and I have to think about this for a minute. You know, when I was watching the episode, I was a little confused why Skyler had a change of heart when it came to to Walt. And this summary points out that it was her conversation with Marie that may have been the reason for that. And if that's true, then this summary has given me an analysis of something I didn't pick up on myself, wow. which is good. Wow. And maybe it's just me being sort of an adult that I didn't quite pick up on that. But if it's true, then I I got to give some props to the summary because you're, it you're like the it. Uh, You're like the university professor who's student actually turns in an original thought (laughs) yeah and you're like wow this was an original thought this was actually good work so are you just giving it an a plus for the fact that it has an original thought in it absolutely not no because (laughs) the way that it's written i we we have only had maybe one or two of these that have been decently well written this is not one of those it's sort of scatterbrained a little bit i don't think it gives quite enough detail or reminds you of enough of what happened like the whole thing with hank finding the rv is or, or looking for the RV because he hasn't found it yet. That is a huge, huge like plot point in this whole episode. And it's just sort of like we hear it at the beginning and then we hear it at the end. But that's like a huge through line that we're hearing about through the whole episode. 
So for that reason, uh, I don't know. I'll go B minus here. Okay, B minus. Yeah, I'm going to go C plus. Um, I, I think just the the syntax is just too bad for me to give a higher yeah. grade. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's things like, you know, Walt correctly deduces, present tense, that Gus tried past tense to lure him back. So there's right right there a, a tense sure. disagreement between the words and the sentence. Um, you know, the high-tech super lab, not loving that turn of phrase. Uh, Hank continues investigating the RV. You investigate a person. You don't right. investigate a vehicle, right? You can try to locate the vehicle in, sure. in the course of your investigation, but you don't investigate the RV. Um, things like that. So there, there are some little, uh, little semantic or syntax, syntax things that I don't love. Um, and, and let's, let's just talk about this though real quick. And th- th- we can just transition in, into the broader thoughts and themes with this. Why do you think Skyder has the change of heart? This summary suggests is the conversation with Marie. The Netflix summary, if you actually are on Netflix and like look at what the little sentence or two that they say about the episode, this sentence suggests that she, uh, or the summary, if I recall, suggests that she has second thoughts when she sees the money. Um, and in fact, her conversation with the lawyer, it's kind of a weird dialogue, but she mentions the money. And then the lawyer's like, are you asking me if you can spend that money? Uh, and basically, I mean, her, her legal advice, uh, is no, which is probably, probably sound <laughs> legal advice. Um, yeah. but Skyler doesn't totally deny that she's asking that question, you know, and That's it's strange. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't get that from watching the, the, the scene where she discovers the money. I got more that she was like, wow, my husband really is doing this at a scale that I hadn't conceived of. This is crazy. What do I do? But I didn't, I didn't see her as thinking, Oh well, on the one hand, my husband's a meth dealer, but on the other hand, there's money. You know, I didn't yeah, get that at all. That's really interesting. I, I don't know about the the whole thing with Marie. What what specifically would she have said? Because they have a conversation while they're Marie is watching the baby, and she basically says they they talk about Hank. I think in yeah. the conversation and about yeah. how oh you know Hank's going through something. I don't know what it is. And maybe that spurs Skylar to think, okay, maybe Walt's been going through something and I didn't give him like the benefit of the doubt. And, or, or maybe that's, that's the conclusion there. I think with regards to the money, yeah, the, I can see that too as a reason, but her, the way that she acts in the scenes following that, specifically the one I'm going to talk about for my best moment, where she, and Walter sitting down to dinner and and yeah let's let's just do that right now let's go best moment yeah, so yeah so let's so they're sitting down to dinner and Holly starts crying and Walt sort of looks at Holly and and Skyler says uh you can do you want to take him we'll hear a little bit of that clip right here you want to take her so it's a very small moment but i don't i don't see anything in there that doesn't seem sincere like i i genuinely see skylar looking at holly and thinking and, and then looking at walton thinking like she needs her father you know well, like i can't yeah, do this I mean, alone i think the bigger thing is it's not audio so we can't really communicate this through the clip we just played but when he picks her up skylar actually smiles and it looks like a real yeah. smile yeah and that, so the the reason i chose that as my best moment which is slightly different so i'll finish my other thought first but this idea that Skylar is only wanting to stay in the marriage so that she can keep the money because she wants to spend it on something. 
I don't know if that entirely rings true to me because at least the way that Anna Gunn is playing the scene and the way that it was directed, I don't, I don't see that. I see more sincerity in that, like, she really does want to mend fences because perhaps she didn't give Walt the, the benefit of the doubt that he needed, you know, based on everything he was going through with cancer and truly wanting to support the family. The reason that I chose it as my best moment was uh, a directorial decision, which is this is a dinner scene that we're seeing through the window of their house from the outside. And what we see is Skylar sitting on one side and Walt sitting on the other, and they are split by what I guess is a window pane. So there is a very creative and visual distinction that they are, while they might be coming back together a little bit, they are still very much separated. And so that was one of the reasons that I chose it as my best moment. Yeah, I love those little those little kind of hints from a cinematog- cinem- cinematographic uh, yeah. angle to show you what's going on. And I will say this was this episode was directed by Johan Rank. We've talked about him before. He's the one who directed all of the episodes of Chernobyl, the HBO series. Uh, just won an Emmy for that last year. But I will say one of the things I noticed is that they misspell his name in the credits. They say Johan Rennick. They didn't wow. even correct it when they put it on streaming. So that's just wow. a fun fact you can look out for. That's interesting. I was like, is there someone else with a very similarly close name who also directed an episode? Then I looked on the Wikipedia page and it is no. Johan Rank. So wow. no. Okay. So anyway, we can go back to uh best scene, best writing, and then do your best moment. But I'm not I'm not sure. I I don't I don't know why Skylar is is all of a sudden uh, going about face. Yeah, it's it's not clear to me either. And and it might be even strong to call it an about face. Uh, sure. but she's definitely softening. And maybe the conversation with Marie has something to do with that. I don't think it's it's the only thing that can be attributed. Uh, and, and maybe also, maybe when she discovers the money, it's not so much, oh, I could spend money, but it's, um, oh, he was earning money for the family. And even if even if I disagree with his methods, I can at least appreciate the impulse. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping to conclusions there, but. That's what we do on this podcast. That's right, of course. What did she expect, though? She's seen the bag before. What, did she think it was filled with pennies? Like, yeah, <laughs> she should have known there was a lot of money in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she thought it was meth. Maybe she thought it was meth. <laughs> um, well, while we're, while we're on the best moment, I'll just mention mine mine real quick. They're not audio. Uh, the first or the, the selection, I have an honorable mention. The, the selection, though, is when Hank finds the picture of Convo and Jesse. And you knew that was coming, right? Uh, when he's poking around in Convo's bedroom. You knew he was going to find that. But it just sets it up for the, for the next episode in a pretty exciting way because Hank's like, oh, wait, this Pinkman kid again. Yeah. Where have I heard his name before? Uh, honorable mention for this moment, though, uh, brief scene right after um, Walt tells Jesse that I'm out or I'm in and you're out, I think were his words, um, referring to how he's cooking for Gus and Jesse's not going to. Jesse, when he runs out and hits, uh, throws that boulder onto um, uh, Walt's windshield. Yeah. I like that because the theme of this episode is that Walt's getting back into it and and what has happened to his windshield before so recently in fact that he has a brand new windshield with the windshield tape still on it Mm -hmm. Uh, it's that he had his windshield smashed by the consequences of his actions before from the 737 that went down when he had um i think a body part right a body land on his windshield so uh so we're we're back here and what the i think what the director is showing us with that sequence is that you know what goes around comes around we're right back where where uh walt didn't think he was going to be again and yet his own choices have have wrought this consequence, even if indirectly, uh, on his car yet again. 
perhaps Walt should invest in a bulletproof front windshield because he has not had good luck with protecting his windshield. Yeah, I totally agree. He needs to get, get uh, upgrade uh, when he has the collision fix. He needs to talk to his insurance company and get them to upgrade him to the ballistic version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Josh, let's go to best scene, best writing. Um, at least three of the things that we're going to talk about here, three of the next four scenes are all pretty closely related. Uh, and it's the Walt-Gus interactions. So I want to start there. Your best scene selection is the first Walt and Gus interaction. And I want to play that, and then we can talk about why you chose it. What conclusion am I left to draw? That you believe I have some proprietary kind of selfishness about my own formula. Some sort of overweening pride, I suppose that you think simply overwhelms me, clouds my judgment. But it doesn't. Absolutely not. I simply respect the chemistry. The reason I picked it as my best scene is because this is very classically in the delivery, in sort of the bravado of Walt. It's very classic Walt that we've come to know. He thinks he's on top, and he thinks he knows exactly what's going on. And it, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Gus has many, many more ideas of how this is going to go. And I think Walt is just not used to encountering someone who's so mild-mannered in this business or seemingly mild-mannered. And I think what I like about this is, and maybe, it's, maybe I like it more because I know how the interaction between Gus and Walt is going to play out over this season and then the next season, but I just feel like it's just such a nice juxtaposition between what we've seen before with Walt thinking he's on top and oftentimes he is in his interaction with others. And then here with Gus, he again thinks he's on top, but Gus has other ideas. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has a plan. He almost probably predicted that Walt was going to come in, throw the money back on the table and say this exact thing. And so I just like that Breaking Bad was smart enough as a TV show to introduce an opponent for Walt that was on his level as opposed to always dealing with sort of inferior opponents who might deal with things with brute force like we've seen before. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We need, we need to have some sort of dramatic tension introduced for the villain. There needs to be some sort of stakes involved for the villain. There needs to be, you know, if you will, a super villain or at the very least a villain who can go toe to toe with the show's main villain. And that's, I think what Gus is now, or at the very least what he's becoming. Um, and, and that feeds into my selection for best writing, which is uh, the second dialogue between Walt and Gus when they're in this uh, the high tech super lab, as the Wikipedia summarizer so uh, so well described this. Uh, so, but but real quick, I'll, I'll just add that my best scene is when they're walking around in the underground lab um, before the dialogue starts, and I like that best scene because there's no audio, and I think scenes without uh, or not I should say no dialogue scenes without dialogue can be pretty powerful especially in this instance because what we're seeing is literally Gus trying to woo Walt he just had the conversation that you described Josh and then he takes Walt down to this uh, this lab and I just really appreciate how that whole scene Walt is sort of walking around almost in wonder right uh, it's it's like um I don't know, it's kind of like in Beauty and the Beast in the in the cartoon, the 1994 cartoon or whatever it is, when the Beast shows Belle his library, right? And Belle's just like, 
whoa, this is amazing, <laughs> right? And like yeah. it really sort of it, it it I mean he he's wooing her there as well, right? Um now a library is a much more a virtuous thing with which to woo somebody than a, <laughs> a high tech underground meth lab. Um but I but the sort of uh, this the same dynamic is there i think walt uh, walt says no when he's talking to gus in the restaurant gus says come come take a drive with me i want to show you something and he shows him this you know professor's playground basically where walt's just like wow you really went all out this is amazing where'd you find this how'd you know to do this etc uh and i and i appreciated that now obviously i just mentioned some dialogue what i really appreciated was the the non-dialogue parts of this scene, but but obviously the dialogue kind of enhances it when it, when it comes in. And then this leads to my selection for best writing, which is the second conversation between uh, Gus and Walt when they're chatting about uh, where to go from here. And Gus is saying, you still gotta, you gotta come do this with me. I have made a series of very bad decisions and I cannot make another one. Why did you make these decisions? For the good of my family then they weren't bad decisions. What does a man do, Walter? A man provides for his family. So this is the toe-to-toe thing that you've talked about, Josh. Uh, Walt is explaining his reasons for not doing it, and Gus goes right to him and says, no, (laughs) you're wrong. You're thinking about this all wrong. A man provides for his family, you know, if you did it for, uh, if you did it with a good end in mind, then it was a good decision. So this is, you know, Gus, the classical utilitarian, uh, <laughs> saying that if you made this decision trying to provide for your family, then you know whatever the decision is, whatever means are required to get to that end are justified. Uh, as a as a virtue ethicist, I would disagree with that um, for a variety of reasons that we don't need to get into now. But the point is, Gus is going toe to toe with Walt on literally a philosophical level. Um, to to compel him to do what he wants him to do. And something that we can't capture in the audio is that when you look at this scene and Gus is talking to Walt, Walt actually looks genuinely shaken in a way that we have rarely seen him before. Because I think he knows he has met his intellectual match here. I think he knows that this guy understands him in a way that many others, most others don't. And I think he knows that he, in some ways, is is under this guy's thumb. Yeah, I like that. I like that we have a scene where it's demonstrated that that Walt has met his match because in in the previous scenes that we've seen between Gus and Walt, it's almost implied and you almost have to have a, a future knowledge of their relationship to to understand how powerful those are. But I, I totally take your point here that this is one of those times where we see Gus sort of take a step forward. And I think the other thing that's really interesting and, and why it's a great choice by you for best writing is because this this level of like understanding that he has to have to deliver this of Walt as a person is is much higher than anything any of his other opponents have ever shown so like he knows that basically prodding him and saying like a man would step up for his family like he has an understanding of Walt as a character that Tuco never had and or never cared about. Right. And that is like a much deeper thing than we've ever seen before from an opponent for Walt. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Let's go to your best writing, Josh. We're going to switch gears here a little bit, but this is a really important scene as well. Um, and uh, I'll just play it and then we'll talk about it. You know that you can talk to me about things, right? 
You don't have to go through this alone. Do you ask me which led Bib to put on someone before you milk him? Jesus, Marie. I made a decision. I'm not going through anything. Doing my job. I would like... I know, I know. A condo in Georgetown, I know. If you would let me finish, I was going to say I'd like to be included. I like Hank, but man, sometimes he can be a complete jackass. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think the reason that I picked this as my best writing is because up to this point in the series, we haven't, I mean, we, we've certainly seen Hank's PTSD from time to time, but we haven't gotten a lot of scenes between him and Marie. And I find their relationship really fascinating. And I think that this this scene is an example of sort of another strained relationship in the Breaking Bad universe. And it's, but it's different. It's the same and it's different. Like Hank clearly is not able to open up to Marie based on what he's going through. But again, you have someone who's caring, who's wanting to be there for you. And I just find that juxtaposition really fascinating. And the fact that it was also written so that he's in the shower with the shower curtain closed and she's on the other side. Again, there's that like physical divide between the two. And that's that's clearly something that was written into the the episode by the writer of the episode and not something that was just sort of willy-nilly made up on the spot because there is a separation between the two of them and that is like it, it's a it is a physical separation but at the same time it it might not be as as permanent as something solid like it's a shower curtain so it's easily moved it could be mended if you wanted to break down that barrier and so i think that that intelligence in the writing is the reason that I chose it as my best writing for this episode. Yeah, well, there's there's another parallel that I don't think you mentioned, but this is not the only scene in this episode where there is a a couple where the man is in the shower and they're talking. The other one is, of course, Skylar and Ted Beneke. Uh, and that's different in that, you know, Ted Beneke comes out of the shower to talk to Skylar and to kiss her. And there's not the sort of division between the two. And yet we get the impression that in the case of Marie, what she's doing is something that's fundamentally unselfish, trying to reach out. Uh, in the case of Skylar, she's she's really kind of being standoffish with Ted as he kind of approaches her and tries to uh, to you know lavish her with kisses, etc. Um, convince her to keep her stuff in his house so that she can come back, you know, without an overnight bag, etc. Um, so that's an interesting juxtaposition as well. Yes, those are all things I certainly thought about before this very moment that you just pointed them out. <laughs> No, that's a great that's a great point. And I had not thought of that before. So I, I also like that Hank is Hank and Marie are both getting something, you know, tangible to do here. And a lot of the times Hank is very, you know, we see him switch between sort of his inner demons and then his public persona. I think it was the last episode where Steve Gomez had his going away party. And, you know, he's in his office feeling like very down about not being able to find the RV. And then he comes out and he's like, hey, Hank, hey, Steve, like, good luck in Texas, man. And it's like this very, he, he made, you know, made some racially insensitive joke about how yeah. Steve is good at speaking Can speak Spanish. Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I we've gotten that before, but we've not really seen a lot of like his true home life, which is like him interacting with his wife. And I think that that's a really important thing to see from what is essentially a secondary character, but who's clearly going to have a lot more to do as the series progresses. Yep. Totally agree. Let's go on to nits to pick Josh, and then we'll go on to select MVPs where I have my, my dark horse candidate. Uh, any nits to pick for you in this episode? 
You know, I actually did not find any to pick, but I'm excited to hear what you have because I know you have a couple. Yeah, I do have a number. So the first thing, this extended strip club scene in the beginning, <laughs> completely gratuitous and unnecessary. Yeah, I, I don't I didn't watch this show when it was on um, on uh, AMC airing yeah. on TV. I don't imagine this was included. I mean, there's no I don't think there's any actual nudity in it, but it comes pretty close. Right. Uh, definitely not something that could air before 10 p.m., for example. Yeah, and, for sure. uh, and I think it's just completely gratuitous. Uh, there, there are ways to convey the seediness of a strip club scene without um, showing as much skin as they do. Uh, and so I, that's just, you know, I think the gratuitous nature of that is something that I would uh, would change if I could. Um, <laughs> well, I guess it, speaking of that scene, I guess the reason that it's in there is because it's the connection between Jesse buying or buying the RV from Combo and then Hank ultimately discovering that the RV was stolen from Combo's mom, and that's how Jesse procured the RV. I think that they show Combo with a with a you know a uh, disposable camera, and that's how the picture came out. Right. And I will say there isn't it to pick there. There's no way in that dark strip club that they could have gotten a picture that clear. So there, no one clearly the writer of this episode never used a disposable camera. Yeah, so true. there's that. <laughs> But I think or that you that just have scene, the horrible flash glare from those things. Exactly. I certainly think that the scene could have been reduced, but I did appreciate a little bit seeing sort of the backstory that, oh, it turns out when Walt gave Jesse his life savings to go buy the RV, he actually ended up wasting a lot of the money. And again, right. we didn't need to see half of what we saw, but I thought it yeah. was an interesting sort of look back on something we didn't know happened before. I was so I watched this on an exercise bike, and I was glad that um, in this case, uh, I was glad that our gym is closed and we're socially isolated because <laughs> yeah, uh, I could just would have been I, mean, I, was fa- I was fast forwarding it, but it's exactly the kind of thing I don't want to have on in the gym when I'm yeah. watching it there because <laughs> like it's this has happened before with movies I watch where there's you know a, a quick flash of nudity or something that I'm not yeah. expecting. I'm like oh no, and I try to fast forward, but yeah. a long scene like this, I just keep pressing the advanced ten seconds, advanced ten seconds, <laughs> advanced ten seconds, yeah, yeah, exactly. and hope that no one uh, is looking anything like what are you watching over there right exactly um okay uh second nit uh when benicky's in the shower he comes out he barely towels himself <laughs> off and he comes over his his hair is so wet but his body's like totally dry uh, <laughs> i thought that cl- was the perfect nit to pick I, <laughs> I read that and i was like that is so true i did not realize that at all but when you point it out it's like so ridiculous yeah exactly um and then the final one is uh we're back to scatter's lawyer who, 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 you know, we, we uh, kind of ribbed her for the, the attorney-client privilege before. Yeah. But her acting, I think, wasn't terrible prior to this. Now it's terrible. So, right. Yeah. Uh, bad acting performance, um, especially when she delivers that, that deadpan line about how I'm half as qualified as a therapist and twice the price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it not was uh, not great delivery on that joke. So um, she's going to get your MVP. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's the Dark Horse <laughs> candidate, the lawyer for Skyler. Yep. Yeah. All right, it's time for MVPs, Josh. Speaking of that, who is your MVP for this episode? And then I will su- maybe I'll surprise you. Maybe maybe you've already figured out who it is, but uh, who's your I MVP? Don't, I don't know if I have my MVP for this episode is Hank. I think that his character development is more than we've seen in any other episode, and he has what is going to be the driving force for the next episode, at least in terms of is he getting closer to figuring out what's going on with this blue meth because of potentially Jesse's carelessness in cooking on his own and then trying to bribe the gas station attendant, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that his performance is good. 
his character development is good and the way that it drives the plot of the whole season forward is also really important. So I will give it to him and we have not given it to him in a while. I think he's only gotten two up to this point. That is correct. That is the second MVP vote that he has received, but I, I think it's I think it's well earned, well deserved. It's a good choice. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, who do you think I'm gonna give mine to? I mean, you said Dark Horse, so it's not someone we've given it to before. I guess I might guess Marie. That is correct, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So let me let me just lay out the case for Marie in 30 seconds here. So you okay. just outlined the case for Hank, and I agree with most of what you said. I mean, I think Hank's character development in, in here is very good. Uh, he is driving the plot forward uh, with respect to the Jesse RV Blue Meth investigation trail. Um, and that, of course, is the same trail that has really catalyzed this whole Walt being back in business thing as well. So it's related to that in that respect. The reason I chose Marie is, well, there's a, there's a, there are a couple of reasons. The biggest one, though, related to what you just said about Hank, I think Marie's performance here um, is what makes Hank's character development so profound to us. Because that, that writing scene that you called out um, with the shower... The dialogue between them is really kind of heartbreaking. I mean, Marie's kind of a tragic figure in the first place. She clearly has a uh, some mental health issues with her kleptomania. She's seeing a therapist for that, but she's really she's a, she's a loving wife, and we always see her be kind to Hank um, and be looking out for Hank. And she's hurting for him. And I think the way that we understand how much Hank is going through is really because of the way that Marie engages with him and tries to. At the same time. Uh, the second reason I think this is really important is because she does have that conversation with Skyler that, that maybe sort of helps shape some of Skyler's thinking on things. I, although I would not go so far as, uh, as the summary did here um, and say that it you know made Skyler reevaluate everything. Uh, but she does have that conversation with Skyler that, that kind of ties her into that part of the storyline. And then there's also the juxtaposition that we already talked about. Uh, Marie and Hank and uh, Skyler and Ted. Uh, in Marie and Hank, we have the picture of a you know, formerly, um, formerly functional and relatively healthy couple that are now facing significant marital stress only because really only because of the, um, the decisions that Walt has made. It's the blue meth that has, uh, has Hank really obsessed. Now he might've, he might've still gone down to El Paso and, uh, gotten almost blown up and he might be still dealing with PTSD from there. But, but you know, the, the obsession that he has right now with his blue mouth meth is all about, um, Hank and, and Walter White. Uh, and in the case of Ted and Skyler, which is contrasted with Marie and Hank, we have a, you know, formerly non-existent couple who is now a like quasi functional, maybe, maybe dysfunctional, just given Skyler's conflicted feelings about it, but a couple only because of Walt's actions. But that's a couple that shouldn't be because Skyler's in a marriage. Uh, and the Hank-Marie couple coupling is one that should be and should be healthier than it is. So I really appreciate that juxtaposition and the way that Marie's character brings it out throughout. I think you make a compelling case. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to object to that. I think, too, a lot of the times, I think you're right, we, we look at sort of what I did, which is look at the most outgoing or, or biggest performance and yeah. sort of assume that that is an MVP performance. And I, I think that does have some merit, but I think to your point, oftentimes it's only such a good performance or an important performance because of the person supporting it. And if that person wasn't there, it would, it would seem false or hollow or not nearly as, as it's critical to the show or the episode. 
Yeah, and I think we've seen this a couple times when we've had selections like Jane uh, Margulis. Um, she's she had a couple selections, and that was I think for that reason. Crazy Eight is maybe another example that comes to yeah. mind from yeah. the first season, right? Like just you know a, a relatively minor character that pulls out these things in a much more major character and makes them that much more profound or contrasted to us. So, yeah. So halfway through or almost halfway through season three. The thing that I'm shocked about looking at our MVP votes, if you're looking at the whole list, yeah. not surprisingly, Walt and Jesse up towards the top, but I am shocked that Skylar is as close as she is. She's within three of the top spot. And, you know, if I were to have thought at the very beginning of season one, whether she'd be close at this point, I probably would have said no. Oh, I definitely would have said no. Absolutely. Um, in, in part, I think her character's not very likable. Yeah. Um, but it's easy to forget how wrapped up she is with the trajectory of Walt's life. I mean, she is, yep. after all, his wife, so it makes yep. sense, but it's easy to forget that, I think. Yeah, well, I'm excited to see who we continue to choose as the series goes on. Yeah, we'll see. Right now, we've got uh, Walt in the lead, followed closely by Jesse with 11, and Skyler at 9 to round out the podium. And Marie, on the board with her first vote ever. <laughs> Very exciting. Alright, thanks for listening to another episode of Breaking Pod. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode, so go ahead and watch Season 3, Episode 6, to be all prepped for breaking pod i'm zach and i'm josh have a great week